Welcome to Theory of Indivisibility, solutions-focused evolutionary analysis of our social, economic, and political systems delivered to you in short, digestible episodes. I'm your host, Dr. Sunjata. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm so happy that you've decided to join me once again. It's been a minute since you all have heard from me. It's been several months now. The last episode that I came to you, I shared with you that I had been writing uh, for several months and I had been releasing content in the form of essays. And the last one that I released was in December. And since then, uh, I've been thinking about how I want to close out season one. In addition to that, just dealing with life. I know that all of us had to, had to grapple with a very uh, challenging year in 2020 in a lot of different ways. Uh, I was challenged in so many different ways and ways that um, I just never would have imagined, you know, with dealing with the pandemic. And, you know, just kind of trying to figure out what's next. And in addition to what's figuring out what's next, trying to figure out what's next next with the podcast, I was also in a space where I was trying to figure out what's next in terms of uh, my work and my career. And as I've been vulnerable with you all in previous episodes, I've consistently grappled with uh, a desire to fulfill my my purpose and my calling in this world. And a part of that is is being an anti-oppression activist. And I've recently updated that to say that I'm an anti-oppression educator, content creator, and organizer. And for the last five years or so, I've invested so much time into this work in various contexts, into those three contexts, organizing, educating, and you know, facilitating uh, and creating content in the form of podcasts or writing. Um, and you know, for this type of work, uh, I've been unsuccessful in terms of figuring out a way to get paid, you know, sustainably to do this type of work. Uh, but I've still chosen to invest a lot of hours in, in, in spite of and, and just make it work. And I've continually felt the tension of needing to earn more income. And in 2021, at the end of 2020, at the beginning of 2021, it kind of came to a head where I decided that I need to invest some time into figuring it out, figuring it out and, and really, uh, you know, being intentional about finding some work that was going to pay me a sustainable income because I had sacrificed for so long and it was just time for time for a change. And what I can share with you all is that I've been extremely fortunate that uh, I my my grow dialogue work uh, which is authentic dialogue, conflict resolution, collaboration, uh, trainings. And that work has has landed me a really, really uh, significant contract. And I'm so excited about this opportunity. I've been preparing for it. Um, to, it's taken me a, a while to you know create the content for that uh, consultation, which will be starting soon. And it'll probably be a contract that will last the balance of the year. Uh, once we get started this month. And it kind of came out of nowhere, um, but I was ready for it, if that makes sense. I know a lot of us have heard the saying that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And 
I've been doing this work. I've been researching. I've been, you know, teaching and doing all these various things around systems uh, and and authentic dialogue. And now we are at a time where more and more companies, or at least I've learned um, through the contact that helped me land this contract, that more and more companies, Fortune 100 companies, large companies in America, are becoming aware of the need to be more collaborative. Are becoming aware of the need to embrace. Uh, you know, em- employee empowerment and, you know, collaboration with with their employees instead of just, you know, top down edicts and, and, and methods of controlling people. It's about how can we collaborate and work together so that their employees can feel good about doing the work as well as the company can feel good as if they're making a uh, as if, as if they're making an effort to be conscious to the needs and concerns of their people. And that need uh, has has created space for people like me, people like me who've been working outside of those systems and within the systems they want people uh, to help them to make the transition. And that's where, you know, I've been fortunate with this contract and, and potential opportunities going forward where I can now, you know, bring in these ideas of power with and collaboration and consent and authentic dialogue into corporations uh, and, and help them become more people-focused and, and environmentally and socially conscious, etc. So that's what I've been up to for the last couple of months. So now let's jump into this episode. In the previous episode titled Capitalism Part 3, we discussed future economic systems and some of the ways that people and companies are transitioning away from capitalism. During today's episode, we are going to discuss the evolutionary origins current complexities, and how my theory of indivisibility applies to democracy. It's a consolidated episode where I'm going to cover all three elements in one show, similar to our patriarchy episode. During season one of Theory of Indivisibility, we are exploring the evolutionary origins, current complexities, and how my theory of indivisibility applies to the following social systems. Power over, patriarchy, religion, ownership, capitalism, democracy, systemic racism, and education. Season one evolves like a book, so for clarity's sake, I suggest starting from episode one if this is your first time listening. A huge shout out to my newest patrons, Rachel and Peter, and thank you to all the people who have chosen to support the continued production of this show by becoming a patron. It really means a lot to me. My goal is to avoid bombarding you with commercial advertisements and to be fully listener supported. So if you get value from listening to this podcast and you'd like to support it becoming more sustainable, please visit patreon.com forward slash live indivisible. A democracy is a political system or a system of decision-making within an institution or organization or a country in which all members have an equal share of power. So how were decisions made before democracy? Well, for the first approximately 290,000 years of our species, Homo sapiens, existence, our prehistoric ancestors lived and egalitarian hunter-gatherer nomadic bands. In these groups of generally 50 to 100 individuals, 
often tied closely by familial bonds, decisions were reached by consensus or majority and many times without the designation of any specific chief. It's important to note that this form of egalitarianism still exists in isolated indigenous groups around the world who were never impacted by colonization. Approximately 10,000 years ago, during the agricultural revolution, a large majority of our homo sapien ancestors began farming and became sedentary for the first time, which led to the development of villages, cities, and then states as human populations began to spike exponentially. This growth in population led to the transition away from egalitarian decision-making and ushered in systems of power over and control, also known as authoritarianism, into human societies for the first time. This led to rulers, chiefs, kings, queens, oligarchs, and aristocrats making decisions for masses of people under their control for thousands of years. For thousands of years, until the system of democracy was created. In the year 507 BC, an Athenian leader by the name of Cleisthenes introduced a system of political reforms that he called democratia, or quote-unquote rule by the people. It was the first known democracy in the world. The system was comprised of three separate institutions, the ecclesia, a sovereign governing body that wrote laws and dictated foreign policy, the boule, a council of representatives from the 10 Athenian tribes, and the dicasteria, the popular courts which citizens argued cases before a group of lottery-selected jurors. Discontent from the Athenian middle and working-class people who made up the army and navy prompted Cleisthenes to create these political reforms. Prior to these reforms, the Athenian aristocrats held a long-standing monopoly on decision-making. The Greek historian Herodotus wrote, In a democracy, there is first that most splendid of virtues, equality before the law. End quote. However, this quote-unquote equality was limited to a small segment of the population. Athenian men 18 and older and excluded Athenian women, resident foreigners, and the group that made up the majority of the population, slaves. Democracy in ancient Greece only lasted for two centuries, but it inspired future representative democracies around the world like the one that would later be created in America over 2,000 years later. Like everything in nature and in human societies, Democracy as we know it today didn't just happen at the snap of a finger or based on one decision by one person. It evolved over the course of thousands of years and was derived or inspired by procedures found in many cultures and governments. Similar to the ancient Greeks, the founding fathers of American democracy never intended to grant equality before the law to all American citizens. Initially, only adult male European-American landowners were granted the right to vote. The ancient Greeks practiced direct democracy. However, the American founders implemented an indirect or representative democracy. In this system, representatives are chosen by the people to make decisions for them. The founders preferred the term republic to democracy because it described a system they generally preferred. 
the interests of the people were represented by more knowledgeable or wealthier citizens who were, who were responsible to those that elected them. Today, we tend to use the terms republic and democracy interchangeably. A widespread criticism of representative democracy is that the representatives become the elites that seldom consult ordinary citizens. So even though they are elected, a truly representative government doesn't really exist. Let's transition to an authentic dialogue about the current complexities of democracy, most of which involve issues around elections and voting. Instead of listing and exploring the various issues like we've done in the past during this part of the show, this time I'm going to share my position and beliefs on the topic for you to explore in the spirit of an authentic dialogue. We are all aware of the variety of issues that exist within our country's gov governance model. However, most people continue to invest time and energy into it with the hopes that, quote unquote, it will get better this time or, quote unquote, it will be better if my person wins. I'm not one of those people. I no longer vote because I believe that our current governance system is divisive, dysfunctional and oppressive to people and the environment. Notice that I said the system and I didn't blame politicians. If you've been following this podcast starting from episode one, you now understand systems thinking, and therefore you understand that the design of our social systems are responsible for producing the conditions that lead to the behaviors of the people within them. This is why I believe that we need to create and transition to a new governance system and divest from the current one. At the heart of my stance is my belief in and understanding of the design of natural systems, which are collaborative, like we've discussed in previous episodes, and my belief that human-made systems should mimic natural systems, which is called biomimicry. Our current governance systems are rooted in debate, coercion, and power over and control dynamics. I believe that we need to transition to governance systems rooted in authentic dialogue, consent, and power with and collaboration dynamics. Whenever I share that I don't vote, I usually get the same arguments and pushbacks and pleas from family members and peers. It usually sounds something like this. People died for your right to vote. Or, if you don't vote, you can't complain. Or, if you don't vote, the bad guys will win. Etc., etc., etc. Well, instead of me giving an answer for each of these sentiments, I'm going to refer you to an article in the show notes titled, You've Got to Stop Voting by Mark E. Smith that addresses each of those sentiments and others. In the article, he posits that boycotting elections is the only proven nonviolent way to delegitimize a government. He uses South Africa as an example by stating the following. Begin quote. South Africa endured many years of violence under the apartheid regime. Many people in countries worldwide boycotted apartheid but the U.S. government insisted on supporting the apartheid regime, saying that while the U.S. abhorred apartheid, the regime was the legitimate government of South Africa. Then, the apartheid regime held another election. No more than 7% of South Africans voted. Suddenly, everything changed. No longer could the U.S. or anyone else say that the apartheid regime had the consent of the governed. That was when the regime began to make concessions. 
Suddenly, the ANC, formerly considered to be a terrorist group trying to overthrow a legitimate government, became freedom fighters against an illegitimate government. It made all the difference in the world, something that decades more of violence could never have done. End quote. So I just want to add to or bring some more context to what Mark E. Smith said when he said South Africa endured many years of violence under the apartheid regime. To be more specific, the people of African descent endured many years of violence and segregation and hate and bigotry and oppression at the hands of the Afro-Europeans who colonized South Africa. So he goes on to give a few other historical examples before listing out and offering a response to the common sentiments of those who believe that voting will lead to the transformation needed to become a socially and environmentally sustainable society. He lists a total of 13, and I'll end this portion of the show by sharing the first one. So the first sentiment that I'm sure uh, many of you may have, may feel, you know, if you're listening to this, many of you may feel this when you hear people like myself say that we don't vote. You may feel that not voting is doing nothing. So here was the author Mark E. Smith's response to that sentiment. Begin quote. If you're doing something wrong or doing something that is self-destructive or hurting others, stopping might be a good idea. If delegating your power to people you can't hold accountable has resulted in the devastation of your economy, do you really want to keep doing it? If granting your authority to people you can't hold accountable has resulted in wars based on lies that have killed over a million innocent people, do you really want to keep doing it? If granting your consent of the governed to people you can't hold accountable has resulted in government operating on behalf of big corporations and the wealthy instead on behalf of the masses of people, do you really want to keep doing it? End quote. So, again, that's an example of one of his responses to one of the common sentiments. And if you'd like to read more, visit the show notes and the link is there for this article. So let's close this show talking about the future of conflict resolution and decision-making, a.k.a. governance, and share some of the ways that people are already transitioning towards governance systems rooted in authentic dialogue, consent, and power with and collaboration. So I'm going to list out a few ideas and concepts that uh, people are, are using and tools that people are using and and systems that people are using, some of which I've mentioned in other shows that you can do further research on uh, if it if it intrigues you. And I'll just elaborate on just a couple of them. So I'll list them out again. The purpose of these things and what governance is and democracy was designed to do was help with conflict resolution for large groups of people and decision making. So some of the tools and concepts that I want to share are authentic dialogue, restorative justice prison abolition, sociocracy, intentional communities, and cooperatives. So I'll talk a little bit about a few of them, like, for example, authentic dialogue. Now, you all, if you've been following this show, you've heard me mention that term several times. Authentic dialogue is literally the opposite of debate. Debate is the communication framework that's the norm in our country. Debate is rooted in competition, competition, 
the bait is rooted in, in order for me to be right, you have to be wrong. Uh, we often see our politicians debating on the, uh, the national stage when the presidential elections roll around. And it's must-see TV for a lot of people. Not me. I no longer watch them. But for a lot of people, it's must-see TV because it's entertaining, because it's conflict and it's competition. And that's how we're, we've been conditioned to, um, to think about how to resolve conflict in this country. And I believe that authentic dialogue is a better way. And the reason why is because authentic dialogue is a communications framework that uses conflict, leverages conflict to bring people closer together. It literally acknowledges the fact that as human beings, yes, there will be conflict. Yes, signals will get crossed when trying to communicate. However, it doesn't have to divide us. It could actually be used to gain deeper understanding, build trust, and strengthen relationships. And that's why I'm such an advocate for authentic dialogue. That's why I am a facilitator and trainer of authentic dialogue. And, you know, it's, it's, it, to me, it's a solution. You can learn more about authentic dialogue at my website, growdialogue.com or drsunjata.com. The next one that I'll talk a little bit more about is prison abolition. I get so excited when I hear about and, and talk to prison abolitionists and hear about the work that they're doing because in order for prison abolition to become a reality, it will take restructuring our entire society. And most of the restructuring that is needed or that prison abolitionists call for are, uh, are, are things that I believe will lead to social and environmental sustainability. It's interconnected, it's, it's interrelated to the uh, the, the, the push for all forms of social and environmental sustainability. So if you're not aware of what prison abolition is, there's an article in the show notes, show notes and of course you can Google it, uh, but you may be aware that in 2020, uh, with the, the push for Black Lives Matter um, after the uh, unfortunate killing of George Floyd, the Minneapolis Police Department chose to defund the police. And there was a lot of talk about defunding the police that a lot of people had never heard of. And they thought that was something totally new. But what made that possible was the fact that prison abolitionists had already been laying the groundwork for what a transition away from continuing to fund policing could look like. That's been happening literally for about 50 years, maybe 50, 60 years in this country. Uh, since the 1960s, people have been talking about prison abolition. So it's not new. However, in, to the masses, it is. But to activist communities, prison abolition is something that's been going on for a long time. The next element that I'll speak about is sociocracy. So again, this is something that you've heard uh, me mention before in other previous episodes. So sociocracy is a governance and decision-making process that makes sure that the voices of every person is heard and no one is oppressed by any decision that is made. And, you know, again, you can look into it. I'm not going to go into too much detail here, but I believe that sociocracy is um, a governance model and it's a solution for the, the challenges that we see in society today. Lastly, I'll, I'll highlight cooperatives. Cooperatives are usually community grassroots organizations that are run cooperatively where all stakeholders have an equal say in the decisions and, and the direction of the organization. It's also uh, a lot of for-profit businesses are, are starting to become cooperatives where they're employee-owned, 
So employee-owned cooperatives, where again, it just gets us away from you know the authoritative you know manager hierarchy model and and is transitioning to more collaborative models for running businesses and running you know community organizations so there are some actually there are actually some really large cooperatives multi-million dollar businesses that are cooperatives so i'm really excited about that movement as well and it goes to adding to the the transition away from systems of power over and control and authoritarianism in every area of society in businesses and um, and grassroots organizations, as well as people are taking these 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 decision making processes and conflict re resolution processes into their homes as well. Um, a lot of parents who are learning these things are adopting them. There's a term called conscious parenting that uh, I'm really, really an advocate for, um, where a lot of parents are now, again, becoming aware of taking out power over and control and instead are choosing to partner with their children and and, and parent in a way where it's more collaborative and it's about power with and collaboration. And as well as different educational institutions like agile learning centers that are out there that are doing the same. You see, we tend to think about democracy and governance from the government uh, level. But again, it really what governance is, is decision making and conflict resolution systems. And it happens at every level from the, from the household all the way up to government. So these are just some of the examples of how people at every single level are making that transition. So to close out, I hope that I've given you some ideas to grapple with, and I hope that maybe I've inspired some of you to embrace and start thinking about how to change the way that you govern in your life at every level, in your household, in your community, and in your workplace. And I hope the knowledge that these things are already happening and they've been happening for a long time and other people are out here doing them will empower you to think and believe and know that it is possible to create new systems that bring about social and environmental sustainability. Theory of Indivisibility is written and produced by me. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform and share it with friends on social media. It really, really helps. It takes 20 to 30 hours of research, writing, producing, and editing to complete each show. So if you like what you hear, you can show your support in helping to make this show more sustainable by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash live indivisible. That is also where you'll find show notes and resources for each episode. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, I love y'all. Peace. Visionary mind frame got me open in the air. I pause for a second, listen to the words that I spit. So can you feel it? Lose focus and you start to see the vibration hitting every nation. Check your foundation. A matter of energy got me circling for the world around me. Stand strong, holding the position I belong. Finish clearing the past and then you move on to a new way to go. You're engaging the flow, the critical mass. Got a brother running so fast, but will I slow down? The wheels and the bus go round and round. Sitting thinking how I'm living, what the longer now I'm coming to a point where I'm bridging the gap. I reckon living with the interpersonal ethic emerging to another level with my culture. Open your mind. Vision no time, open your mind in this. New vision no time, open your mind in this. New vision no time, open your mind in this. New vision no time, open your mind in this. Theme song New Vision is performed by Achilles the Cosmonaut. 
Find more from Aquilas the Cosmonaut on your favorite music streaming app. <laughs>